Hello, welcome to um, episode nine. Eight. Oh. Nine. I think it's episode yeah, nine. Yeah, it is nine. No, it is nine. Welcome wow. to episode nine. Yeah, that feels like a, a, a real milestone. That feels like a grown-up amount of um, podcasts to have done. Well done, us. Yeah, well done. Um, well, and well done there being at least nine inspirational people. Well, ten if we include, or however many, to do episodes about. So, well done, Earth, as well. Yeah, well done, planet Earth. You, you know, you're getting there. Yeah. Um, this week... We were chatting to Annie Bilby, who I used to work with, and is just an all-round... Who I now love. Yeah, all-round, incredible, inspiring uh, woman. Um, We talk a lot about the Black Lives Matter movement. We talk Mm -hmm. uh, a lot about mental health, again. Mm -hmm. Maintaining your own resilience whilst kind of caring and being an activist as well, which I'm going to about. Um, And it's it's just... it's just a lovely conversation, guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we won't waste any any more time. We'll just dive straight in, eh, Charlie? Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Annie will be. Hi, Annie. Hi, I think I think just for. Total transparency with the listener. I've got to. <laughs> I've got to admit the boo boo I just made. We we have we have already listener. We have already been talking, Lanny, for about twenty minutes, but I forgot to. <laughs> I pr- forgot to press record, so that's just the way that this has gone. Um, it's been but, some nice relationship building. You know, yeah. we're all really chill with each other now, so we're not. No, our rule is no negative self talk on this podcast, isn't it, Sam? So yeah, we try our best. Let's move forward only with strengths. Yeah. Um, so Annie, to have. yeah, to have. we we made that in the fir- in the first podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I was being a bit self deprecating, and uh, Charlie just set out the um, set out the guidelines right there. Um, so lovely to meet you again, Annie. Yeah, <laughs> Hello. Annie, Charlie, Charlie, Annie Hi again. again. <laughs> so um, we were saying that we we were so so happy for you to come on because you've mm-hmm. been like so so busy, and at the end of last week, I gave up very quickly on trying to describe you because I couldn't do it very succinctly in an outro. So do you just want to run us through kind of? We kind of talked about the three main points that you were that you're doing at the minute. Yeah, so um, I I'm a PhD student at Brighton um, in the School of Applied Social Sciences, so basically psychology. Um, but my research looks at um, intimacy and sexuality and desire for people who experience psychosis. Um, I am really focused on looking at the lived experience and how that contributes to knowledge rather than relying on um, medicalization, institutionalization, and basically knowledge that comes from um, elite white men. Mm-hmm. It's We need to access what it feels like to experience mental distress mm-hmm. in order to um, create better treatment programs, as well as um, get rid of stigma, mm-hmm. pretty much, and stereotypes. Because when you actually start to see people who experience severe mental uh, mental distress as humans, uh, then 
will be a lot less discriminated against and that's been from my own experience did um, you hear our podcast with jasmine annie um a few I, weeks I have, ago i haven't i haven't um, so she as she um, does some work with ucl as um being an expert by experience because she's experienced psychosis she won't mind me saying um she has a bit a bipolar just, um, diagnosis as well so she her whole advocacy thing is that expert by experience thing so it kind of ties in I mean for the sake of podcast ties in quite nicely but also might be interesting if you, you enjoyed this to go back and listen or if you enjoyed Jasmine's one that Absolutely. sounds like you're going to enjoy this one yeah a nice kind of link in yeah, yeah no I'll be going back and listening 100% thank you for that um yeah um expert by lived experience is definitely the way to go mm-hmm. for me um I'm diagnosed with borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. and uh, whenever you uh, and complex post-traumatic stress disorder and <laughs> whatever letters you want to add afterwards. Um, I'm really interested you... that we've stopped, we haven't taken away disorder from lots of our mental health labelings, but we've taken away. So like autism now is... Um, autism spectrum condition isn't it we've been a lot more positive with a lot of our SEN diagnoses I've noticed that that disorder is still very much there isn't it for uh, mental health kind of conditions and challenges there's there's still the stigma Mm -hmm. and there's still the uh the need to cure rather than to live with and accept Mm -hmm. and it's a very western concept um I'm looking at this ties into my activism as well um I look at decolonizing the structures of mental health mm-hmm. as well as sexuality and intimacy um, because when white people went around colonizing the world uh, they also colonized people's minds and people's bodies mm-hmm. um, and for example uh, if you grew up in a community where there may be shamans uh, and you experienced a, what we would call in the west a psychotic break then you wouldn't be sectioned or put on meds or all that stuff you would be placed with an elder who would teach you how to um, hone your gift essentially Mm -hmm. and it's not to say that all mental distress is a gift uh, that we need to appreciate but that there are other ways of looking at these things and um, we maybe in as individuals who experience these things we could be a lot happier and more content uh, if the people who insist on treating us were aware of these different approaches. Mm-hmm. I work a lot with, te- I work with families, but I have a lot of teenagers who struggle, particularly in lockdown, half of my caseload now is teenagers who are really struggling with their mental health. And a lot of the work I try and do is about, um, we, um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna cure you. And actually there's nothing to be cured. It's about walking alongside and like, it's a part of you. It's a part of your brain until we accept that and kind of own it and hold it. Then we're not, no, we're not going to get anywhere because all that happens is negativity and you're going to feel rubbish about yourself every time you don't have a, every time you have a low day, every time you're anxious, you're going to think that you failed. And it is much more, isn't it? About holding it as some part of who you are. And working Absolutely. with yourself, otherwise you're losing battle from the beginning, aren't you, really? Which is why I'm so confused, sorry to go on a tirade, that we that we that medication is our first step because I'm like that give feeds into this really negative idea that there's that it's something to cure, which I just I don't think there's definitely a space for medication, but I just I think the whole narrative around it just isn't helpful at times for some people. 
100% I absolutely agree with you so yeah I'm hoping that um, by 2022 and hopefully I'll have my PhD and I'll be a doctor uh, that whatever I do in the next couple of years will hopefully contribute to that and I can continue to work with it afterwards mm. um, and I think that in itself is is activism um, which is kind of my other hat um, I've been at different demos um, as well as uh, being more active online and in person um, I think the discussions that we have with our families and our loved ones and just mm -hmm. people that we can come across are, are also really important uh, mm -hmm. and not to be uh, minimized um but I and actually more difficult sometimes aren't they I've my discussions with my colleagues um and they're all kind of um individuals who do the job because they want they're kind and they want to help and they want to kind of um support people the discussions that we've had have been a lot more kind of um my approach has been challenged a lot more than they have just with my friends and family because that can just be your echo chamber can't you it's exactly what you say about like getting out and finding the people who haven't had that conversation with you yet or who might not even have that conversation with anyone absolutely yeah yeah so yeah not not to be not to be uh minimized at all mm -hmm. um but then uh at protests in brighton and 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 in london um, I've shared my poetry um, and I, I go by Affled Poet. I'm a spoken word artist. Um, I My work, I talk a lot about mental health um, and trauma recovery, but also um, experiences of racism, misogynoir, fetishization, um, decolonization. Um, and current topics as well as whatever's going on inside for me. Um, I've been sharing my stuff for about 18 months, or writing and sharing for 18 months. Um, so it hasn't been a very long time, but it's been a good time. Uh, yeah. And I'm excited to see where it goes. So, yeah, that, that's kind of me in a nutshell at mm -hmm. the moment. Oh. And then you. Um... I could like to hear again about the um, <laughs> protest about the British Airways um, protest because yeah we said that because um, um, we were talking about kind of there are local things that people can do mm -hmm. and that can be involved with and you said that like it doesn't have you don't have to tackle the big issue first um, so we and it's overwhelming if yeah. you try to if you who has the confidence to take on the whole entire like of white supremacy who has the to take on if you make it right down to your local area you can maybe summon up the confidence to do a little change can't you where you are absolutely i think before uh was talking about um being like in previous years i've been more of a like keyboard activist or a sofa activist or more of a like under my duvet hiding from the world activist mm -hmm. and just uh sharing and just being loud on the internet um which is good like it has its, own, it has its own place mm -hmm. um but i guess i felt before that um someone else would always step up and do the work and it would always be someone who would be more equipped uh and better suited for the job and that i i would just uh watch and like support from at home 
Um, but this year, and I'm sure many other people have had the same experience of sort of gone, well, you know what, I, I can do something um, and it doesn't have to be massive. Uh, like no one else is going to focus on your local area except the people in your locality. Mm-hmm. So that narrows it down a lot more as to, you know, whose job could it be? Could it be yours? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think have a go. <laughs> and do what you can in your local area see what it's about there'll be something that you're angry with there'll be something that you don't know but will really irk you (laughs) and you might want to do something (laughs) could be your bins could be black lives matter could be that the side of the road's a bit mucky and it could maybe be cleaned up there's a lot to go on but what we said kind of before was i think the really lovely thing i there's come out of this podcast and I think it was also your intention wasn't it in the beginning Sam yeah. is hearing about how people find that thing that got them under their skin that made them want to do something and it's just like no- lovely normal people that you know it's not like people who are like born to be like to lead and like had all these like skills kind of thing it's like people everyone isn't like muddling through but they found their thing that they wanted to try and contribute to sorting out a little bit and it's just it's not once you kind of take a deep breath and go for it anyone can do it can't they really yeah yeah absolutely like be the change you Mm -hmm. wish to see in the world um there's there's an Angela Davis quote that I really like and um if you see me at any of the protests I've got it written on a bed sheet and I carry it around me and I force a friend to carry the other end (laughs) (laughs) um but it says you have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world mm-hmm. and you have to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've liked that quote for a while, but I'm really living by it now. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it feels good. Yeah. So your one that you arranged in Brighton is was by a monument that I only just learned existed today, which is exciting for me. In my head now, I'm calling it the spindle, but I know it's not called that. I've labelled it that. So, do you want to tell us? Tell the us the proper name. <laughs> Sorry, sexy. <laughs> and um, tell us a little bit like that because that was really interesting to hear. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's a really big tower in Brighton, and it's got a glass donut around it, and it goes up and down. Um, it's called the I360, and it's sponsored by British Airways, which is an important fact in this uh, little discussion. Um, it uh, on June the fifth, or for June the fifth, Brighton Hove City Council said that they would light up the I360 and a few other buildings. I think the dome and the pier. Um, that they would light them up purple at 8 p.m. Uh, as a symbol of uh, solidarity with America and George Floyd and anti-racism. And they declared, not they haven't declared themselves an anti-racist council, but they made a, they made, they said that that's their stance, that they have an anti-racist mm-hmm. stance. Um, it's a really nice gesture. Like purple is my favourite colour, um, but. Uh, the I-360 is is not my favourite because of British Airways. Um, British Airways is complicit in the hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make 30 million a year um, from racist deportation contracts with the Home Office. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have taken uh, black and brown people to countries where their lives may be in danger 
mm-hmm. and they've been complicit in that. Virgin Airlines used to uh, do deportations, uh, but they stopped after pressure. So it is possible British Airways don't have to do this. They don't need the extra 30 million a year. Maybe they do after COVID. But anyway, like it's it's not it's not acceptable. Absolutely not. And if we if Brighton Hove is saying that they're an anti-racist city, British Airways shouldn't have anything to do with it in the first place, in my opinion, yeah. let alone being lit up. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, uh, on the 12th of October 2010, so nearly a decade ago, uh, Jimmy Mabenga was being deported on a British Airways flight to Angola. He was taken away from his wife and his five children here in the UK. Um, and he was murdered on the flight before the flight even took off. Uh, G4S guards suffocated him. And his final words were, I can't breathe. Now, particularly in light of George Floyd, um, and those final words really resonated and hit hard with a lot of people, and understandably so. Um, but what I think is really important is to remember that those words have been said before. They've mm-hmm. been said by Jimmy Mabenga, they've been said by Adrian McDonald, and they've been said on British soil numerous times by black men in their mm-hmm. final moments mm-hmm. and black people in their final moments. Uh, and in light of you know all of the momentum behind Black Lives Matter we really need to apply it in the UK mm-hmm. and locally as well um so that really applies with Jimmy Mabenga and the i360 so um there was a demo on uh, June the 5th in the evening at the time when it was supposed to light up purple uh, it didn't light up purple uh brighton hove city council i don't think they've acknowledged that it didn't light up or why or issued an apology or acknowledged their mistake Mm -hmm. um i haven't heard anything but yeah that was uh my first demo of the of the year um so i think then it's a good time annie to talk about your your book choice so what book have you chosen? Oh yes, I have. I have it here. But we've already got the picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we loved having it there to hold up and to all future future guests, please bring it because it's so nice. I, I like, I, anyway, it's important to be able to visualise as well, isn't it? Because that was part of the reason for choosing it, was it? Yes. It's really pretty. So it yeah, caught it my pretty. eye. <laughs> Plus that it says, I mean, slaying your lane is a banging title, right? Yep. And then at the bottom it says the Black Girl Bible. Um, so I mean, I thought that maybe this will live up to its name. It's written by Yomi Adagoki and Elizabeth Uvebinen. I think I've pronounced that right. Um, but they're basically uh, two young black British women in the early twenties after uni. Um, have basically written this guide pretty much to surviving the intersection of being black and a woman. Um, And it's about being British as well, not about being British, but you know, I think a lot of resources that we use to talk about race are American. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important for me because I could really identify with a lot of these experiences, like when they talk about school and university, Mm -hmm. that was, it was, it's very much my experience as well. Um, But the authors also interview 
so many i'm not sure how many maybe 30 uh different uh black women who have done very well for themselves um so like dr nicola rullock um uh mallory blackman clara ampho charlene white loads of really inspirational uh british black women who have been really successful in their fields um and so reading this book i was able to identify not only with the author's experiences but with um all of these successful women's experiences and it's sort of um i guess yeah like lit a fire beneath me to chase whatever it was i wanted to do again and believing that i can do it um i i bought this book to read on on holiday um on a on a beach uh in the easter holidays i used to work with uh sam uh a lovely 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 place um but yeah in the easter break i went away read this book and was like i need to get back to academia um and i immediately started looking for studentships for phds and was willing to like move willing to do whatever but i came across the opportunity that i'm doing now and i and i got it and it's it's all thanks to this book it really did change my life so um would recommend everyone read it to be honest because it's just really informative on the lived experience as we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier charlie yeah um but yeah great book yes amazing and um you you mentioned again then about kind of getting back to academia um so kind of i was i was very jealous <laughs> yeah. when you, when you said that because on, on my hand, I was kind of always no, never known what I wanted to do, but it seemed like from an early an earlyish age, you did know what to want to do, and then kind of dropped out of that a little bit, and then this book kind of like you know gave you gave you that that bolt that you needed to like really go for it again. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of it was evidence that it could be possible. Mm -hmm. It reminded me that other people have done those things because. Um, I've, I've hardly had any uh, black role models in my life. It was only in my second year of university that I had that I first experienced a black educator, mm -hmm. like someone yeah. who looked like me. Um, and being able to identify with um, a position that you might want to get to is so important. Um, so uh, education had always been really important for me from a really young age because it was kind of where I like got the most praise and if things went well at school things went well at home so it was and I was told that I was good at things so mm -hmm. I, and I liked that so I just kept doing it um, and it's measurable too isn't it I think the thing that a lot of people struggle with and especially people who have found have fl flourished away in a way in an academic environment you know if you work hard you'll get a birth paper that tells you how good you are and I don't know if you found this um, as well, Annie, but I found getting away from that environment and going into a world that doesn't just give you like an A or whatever for working hard is a really difficult transition to make. And did actually affect my self-esteem quite a lot because I was like, how do I measure how good I am now that no one's doing it for me? Did you right. find that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, how do I plan my time? Like, yeah. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Um, I've always been quite lucky to have uh, really kind uh, mentors and supervisors at work and and at university who have kind of like guided me in 
broken things down because I can't, I get a bit um, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, education usually breaks that down for you. A PhD doesn't do that, unfortunately. Uh, it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's very big and very difficult. But um, getting there, we'll see. How long have you been doing it for now, Annie? Uh, I started in October last year. So it's coming up to a year. Oh, coming yes. up to my annual progression review, which is quite a big thing. Yeah. God, is it been a, is it been a year since you since you've left? It is, yeah. Nearly, you, yeah. I, I you left came in back in September, September, didn't you? And then for was it just like two weeks you were there? Yeah, a bit. Then, yeah, starting uh, off the starting off the new academic year and then leaving yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, as you mentioned, we did work together earlier, and I, I was I was kind of interested actually, Annie, in how that I mean we did there are a lot of like kind of psychology undergrads who go into working um at the college because obviously there's a lot of scope for it you you became an assistant psychologist at the college there didn't you but I I had the um wonderful fortune of kind of of meeting your brother as well when we were out um in town do you remember um, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And he he was very excited. And this was before I'd even got engaged. And he asked, I was with um, Ellie, my partner, and he asked Annie if I was getting, um, if we were going to get married. It, it was because you said you'd bought her a present. You bought her a book for her birthday. You bought her a present. And uh, I think he then asked you is, if the present was a ring. maybe he planted the idea but um is is your brother autistic yeah 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 and I've I've kind of always been interested I've I've realized I don't know if you noticed the same maybe same pattern but there seems to be a lot of people that work at St John's who um have siblings with kind of like similar um, conditions and needs that we kind of support at St John's so was that was there anything there that kind of yeah definitely definitely um you know I thought I would I thought that would be like my unique selling point in my interview for them like, <laughs> with autism and I've dealt with it all my life and yeah um there's quite a big age gap between us I'm nearly 10 years older than him um and our dad left when he was one maybe not even one Mm -hmm. so I had quite a big role in um bringing him up or dragging him up uh Mm -hmm. and that's had a big impact on me uh we've got a lovely relationship now but it was really really difficult um before there was access to help and like my mum wasn't believed um and we were like we were really struggling for a really long time you know we were told that uh He'd, probably, he'd have to go into like residential living very young because he was quite aggressive and like you know Sam he's just the friendliest like most gentlest yes, giant yes. ever and I was really like he's really blossomed he's a real um he's a beautiful wonderful man very very thankful to have him as my brother uh but yeah I kind of I always felt like I needed to work in mental health because of experiences with my brother but also with my dad my dad uh has um quite bad uh, addiction issues um and a lot of trauma 
uh, trauma is a real like buzzword in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, yeah, all those experiences really led me to feel like I need to be in a role where I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. So before St John's, I worked with people with psychosis and addictions, uh, and that it it was it was it was really important work. Um, but I guess I hadn't done enough work in myself, and so it mm-hmm. really it bro- I broke down for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you can give too much of yourself can't you sometimes I think if you like are the kind of person that likes to um like I always use like a metaphor of a bucket if you're the person kind of person likes to really empty your bucket for other people if you sometimes you can forget to top it up and then you're still giving and there's not anything else in there it's so hard to remember and I think a really important thing possibly to highlight on this podcast in general, but also just for everyone, is that you, if you don't give back to yourself, if you keep doing stuff and then you're not putting it back into you, it's not sustainable. And so there's Absolutely. a part of being an activist is being a tinsy little bit selfish as well and being able to say, no, actually, tonight is sit down and watch Netflix night. And that is part of my activism because I'm caring for myself so I can make the changes that need to be made. But you don't learn it. No one tells us it because we learn that you just give and you be selfless and you do kind of things. No one, I've only learned in the last few years that that's got to be such a big priority. No one told us. (laughs) Exactly. No, I I definitely learned that the hard way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Self-care really is activism because you can't do it if you're burnt out as well. Mm -hmm. And you also, even if you can do it, you're not going to do the best job that you can. So do it for the cause and take a break and then come back. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, I I had to take a a long break and trying to look for work again was really scary. And autism, working with autism felt like something that was just quite natural to me and something that I knew. Uh, So that's where St. John's came in. I just went for it because it was... I know this. I know. I know someone with autism. I know. I know what to do. Uh, Obviously, that wasn't quite the case. (laughs) All went well in the end. uh, But yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah. Well, I think we. I think we. Well, I certainly learned very quickly that you know, no one autistic person is this is the same as the next. Um, Yeah. But um, oh yeah, I I didn't answer your question though. I think did you ask? Did you ask why? why like people well I was uh, yeah I was just yeah um I kind of asked if it was um I think you did kind of answer it I think you did I think it is kind of like that because I think it also goes into what Charlie was saying a bit about um kind of feeling obliged to keep doing the work and Mm -hmm. to keep helping and so when you have a sibling and my experience with Robbie um obviously there was a massive age gap and so it was okay that he uh had all the attention because I was also giving it to him like he was my Mm. baby as well um but that I got uh, a lot of positive praise I guess from how I was with him Mm -hmm. and that really reaffirmed my caring identity and I Mm -hmm. imagine it's the same for a lot of people in that situation Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I think as well, it's important to talk about burnout in that sort of work as well, because I think it happens a lot or, you know, it feels like you can only do care work for a certain number of years before you need to 
uh, stop. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people go into that sort of work who get feel like they get worth from always giving to others, but they forget to fill up their bucket because mm-hmm. we haven't been taught. To, and haven't taught, been taught that it's a priority. And then if you stop, you're stopping looking after someone else, which is the thing that you've been told is the most important. I was exactly. I was taught that same thing um, with the bucket. It was it was the psychologist actually at um, St John's um, and a year old bosses that um, taught me. But I think they, they they described it as a glass. But I like that you've got you're going for a full bucket, Charlie. Because yeah, I've really. got a lot, Sam. I've got a lot to give. Okay, there's yeah. a lot in here, but that does also mean that takes a lot of topping up sometimes as well yeah and I think it's really I'm really happy actually thank you so much Annie for kind of creating a space where we talk about this because I think this podcast is people doing these amazing things and actually we did we do sometimes ask kind of what do you do to keep your resilience up but I feel like we haven't asked it for a few episodes and I think it's really important that we highlight that alongside the work that people do because that's a skill in itself so what kind of stuff we you know we I think we've spoken before um some people kind of exercise I like to swim and like manically crochet <laughs> to get my day out so what kind of stuff do you do what kind of re re-centers you and re-energizes you um uh, it's been you know my go-to response to that question recently has been that like activism has kind of Mm re-energized me or you know writing something or you know doing something Mm -hmm. um that 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 can make me feel better or being recognized or acknowledged like um do do either of you watch Queer Eye yeah oh yeah Mm -hmm. you know Bobby Yeah. yeah He just shared my new poetry video. I just, I saw oh that. My God. It was, it was oh, my God. came on, it was so crazy. I was just like. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. How um, did you not open with that? We've been talking for an hour. I can't believe you kept that in for an hour. <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. That's exciting. Um, so re- recognition energized me but those mm-hmm. aren't things that you do for yourself so I will uh I will go back and actually answer the question properly mm-hmm. sorry uh I I'm a very I'm a very bathy person yeah lovely. um needs to be well hot at least four cups of Epsom salts all the lavender oil I've got like a little mood light that floats around I like handles put a podcast on maybe or maybe an album or maybe nothing Depends what time of day. Um, yeah, and stay there for an hour and do face masks and yeah. everything. Um, but I also, it's not to say that like self-care always needs to look like a particular type yeah. of glamorous self-care, but I really like painting my nails because it means that I can't do anything while it's yeah. dry. And so it's like you're being forced to disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. But then I also I really find comfort in um in others and in those really health in healthy relationships mm-hmm. not uh not oh, I need support or yeah. you need to look after me but like a, a really good chat with a friend or facetiming with someone I haven't seen in ages or um being with my partner yeah like being with people who make me feel good and I know I make them feel good in just yeah. a really natural way um, yeah re-energizing for me yeah I'm I'm not talking about anywhere specifically, but I do also, I'm a big believer that 
especially if you're working, organizations tell you to, you know, really look after yourself. And almost I feel like sometimes it's taking the responsibility away oh God, from organizations not. as I well. I have like... a TED talk about this. <laughs> I literally... So as good as important... This is a episode. <laughs> yeah, as important as self-care, yeah. you know, and mm. building your own resilience is having the correct working conditions and being mm-hmm. respected properly um, while you're working is kind of just as important for that I, I, I believe yeah you don't Absolutely. in your bucket your organization if you if you someone is paying you to empty your bucket every day they've got to be putting in it as well because there is extra stress on that so they've got to be topping it up as well as you because they're paying you for what's 100%. coming out of that yeah I've had and especially I don't know I think a, pe- a lot of people who work um with people and supporting people have found that in um, during lockdown as they've kind of continued to work or even continued to care um my job's definitely <laughs> quite a lot more stressful without the same support network and a lot of the onus is still on you as an individual you're working too late or you're not doing the things that look after yourself and it's like no 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 you've just you've put an extra tap <laughs> on this bucket that I have and it's going out twice as fast and I've some holes in the bottom yeah exactly you're drilling in there (laughs) so I think I think yeah again really important to say that that if you if you kind of take too much responsibility for your own mental health then well no for your own well-being then you kind of that part of activism I think is expecting spaces society to let to want us to be well and looked after as well isn't it absolutely yeah yeah um organizations have the responsibility to look after you particularly Mm -hmm. if the things that they ask you to do uh can cause harm i don't really see where the argument is in that it should be a responsibility and it should be an obligation not just an optional thing that you need to jump through extra hoops to get done yeah they should be helping you get the extra help you need because if you need help the last thing you need is another couple of things on your on your job to list, list to do and yeah. tick off and people to call or emails or yeah. do you know what I mean like yeah. completely take yeah. some jobs away give people space to have a breathe because if you are in I think people who are in jobs where they work with people also if they're not doing their best job for those other people because a lot of their self-esteem has historically perhaps come from caring for people if they don't feel like they're doing their best job because they've got too much to do or they're not feeling up to it then that's a whole other spiral as well I think in terms of self-esteem and I think we I think working from home especially or from less people being around has taken eyes off a little bit of that and I think um one of the main the things where we need to start doing is kind of looking out for each other don't we and like you said right at the beginning taking that stigma away from saying I'm struggling this is affecting my mental health and instead of being a weakness and saying instead of saying oh oh this you've got to do this you've got to do this people just saying right well what I'm alongside you what do I what do you need How and we, we are talk? we are getting there yeah I think I think maybe we're getting there but we're still not quite understanding the spectrum as a whole so mm-hmm. like we're understanding that like it's okay to have anxiety and depression uh but then that one person's experience of anxiety doesn't equate to another person's mm-hmm. and that anxiety in, of, in and of itself is a huge spectrum 
I kind of I found it quite frustrating like I speak about mental health a lot and I relate to a lot of people over it to be honest like I don't think I have any friends who uh uh who haven't experienced mental distress of some kind you know yeah. I think if anything it's kind of a necessity to be friends with me because then it means that like we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be more on the same page like, you're gonna get my bag a bit mm. you know <laughs> yeah um, but there's still like a big degree of uh, of separation in in the experience of what that feels like. So mm-hmm. I don't know when I have spoken about my mental health before, and someone's gone, "Oh yeah, no, I completely understand. No, it's exactly yeah, no, I've been there." And like I I know what you mean, but you haven't. And it kind of like sometimes you just need to listen without needing to be the same. Like mm-hmm. I can listen to someone without saying, oh yeah, no, I've heard you because I'm the same as you. You know, I've heard you because I've heard you when I'm listening and your experiences are valid, but I don't need to have experienced the same thing. And maybe we can relate on similar topics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Your story is your story, but I really hate it. You know, when you're talking to someone, you tell them something and they respond with a story that's similar to yours it's like okay I get that you heard it and you're excited and you want to tell me about this thing but it'd be really cool if you could like just acknowledge Mm -hmm. that I said something before you also then say the other thing Mm -hmm. yeah I I think people fall into it as a way to (laughs) but I think it's good to talk about because a lot of people don't know how to approach people talking about being in especially kind of quite extreme distress or kind of have really struggling with their mental health. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily know how to have that conversation. So I think it's important to say actually what I want, what I what people or what I would want in that situation is someone to listen and just tell me that maybe even just tell me that I'm really brave rather than have a different story. And then you feel like you have to start comforting them, but actually you were the first in the first place who just wanted a little bit of something, weren't you? So I think it is um I think it's worth, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know what people listen to this podcast for, but I hope people listen to it for, like, information. <laughs> yeah, I think well. they listen to it because we, we do go off track like that quite a lot. <laughs> but don't worry. Um, to maybe get us a bit back on track. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Get those conversational anchors back in place. Um, shall we Shall we go, shall we talk about your film? What was your film choice, Annie? Oh, yeah, I, ch- I don't have the film to show you. But um, the film I've chosen is Malcolm X. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go for the other one. But that's oh, for 13? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll go for that. I'll go for that. <laughs> well, really we, we, why don't you have an honorary mention? So you can go for one, but we are we have all the honourable mention on this podcast, aren't we, Sam? So Yeah, you can choose whichever you want. So, like, in all honesty, I'm really, I'm not the biggest film buff, like, a bit I think it's because of my anxiety (laughs) I find it hard to like concentrate the whole way through anything Mm -hmm. so I get quite lost in some films and and sometimes I don't remember them um I didn't know if 13th would count as a film so I was like well if 13th counts then yeah I'll Mm -hmm. use that Ava DuVernay's uh 13th documentary just incredible the impact that it had um again I think Ava DuVernay is so inspiring um and it it frustrates me that it's like we have to acknowledge that there's 
a first woman to do things and a first black person to do things and a first black woman to do things but for there to be first like that in 2020 is still like you know or well not 2020 2019 2018 recent years um it's it's sad that we have to acknowledge that but it's just it shows what a huge achievement that is and how mm-hmm. difficult yeah. it's been to get there um mm-hmm. so i i'm just i'm in awe of her and i I think her work is really um, compassionate and humanising. Um, I think she obviously, you know, talking about um, slavery and uh, the prison industrial complex isn't going to be a, a happy story, but I think there were still moments of black joy and black culture in there as well. Yeah, that aren't yeah. just all tainted mm-hmm. uh, by the uh, pain that we've been subjected to. So yeah, love that. Love that doc. One hundred percent would recommend on the Netflix. Yeah, it, it, it was. I watched. I watched it. I did watch it like a couple of months ago, but I watched it again today just because I wanted to refresh mm. and just like I watched up me again was just like how you know it is quite complex. That like the just the, the how what is you know the way she goes through like the past like. 150 years mm-hmm. but it's so it, she makes it so accessible I think and just like so easily manageable and that's you know that's like you were saying before about getting through to the people that you know maybe weren't in the conversation before that's mm-hmm. that's that's such a, a skill to have isn't it when you know you can yeah. put these ideas and stuff and grab get people's attention and, and actually make them understand it rather than using language or whatever that's not completely um accessible kind of democratizing that understanding of what's happened yeah yeah she makes it exciting to watch Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. and she makes it really engaging which is important because if all of these important things are always in books like not everyone's going to access it but you put something like that on netflix yeah um, Mm -hmm. people go and see it and also knowledge about knowledge about uh, power structures in society. Why has that become an elitist thing when the people that it does not affect is the elite? Why is it elite? Why is it a, like a fancy thing to know about political theory? Why is it? Do you know what I mean why? Why are these things university knowledge when like that's that's not where they need to be? And I like love. I'm sure there's some issues with Netflix. But what I do love is this stuff being on there and people are scrolling through and they're like, oh, shall I watch um, Queer Eye or shall I watch The 13th? And the, the choice is just there and the information is just there so accessibly. And that is, I think, how things will change mm-hmm. is because some people don't want to some people don't want to research. And I this has been a, my real steep learning curve in my work, actually, is trying to find a way to not kind of um make people feel like I'm present I'm trying to present the information in like a snobbly kind of academic way because that gets people's mm. backs up but yeah. your, your gut instinct is like well they should know about this like if you don't know what structural racism is then how are you possibly ever going to stop being you know what I mean but big breathe lesson has been there's ways to present information there are more who knew 
who knew more I was accessible. very much like that I was very much like that angry at everyone who like how dare you not know the big words but yeah. like that is a colonial oppressive tactic mm-hmm. in and of itself uh the fact that you need to uh, read certain books or maybe get to present education level to mm-hmm. maybe be able to access some of this knowledge is really sad and we yeah. shouldn't have to um but also oh oh I had a good point I think and it just vanished maybe maybe anyway, um well I was just going to talk in films you've made kind of uh, you and another poet have made like a short film um yeah. called, called wake up I've watched it yeah. like a few times and it is it's like another one of those. So it's so powerful. But how did how did that like come about, Annie? So um, Sam Parrish Rooks, who is the director, um, he'd approached Brighton Black Lives Matter and offered his services. Basically, he's a he's a director, videographer, does great stuff, um, and yeah, he was like, I could I could make some sort of a film, and then he messaged me through my um, Facebook page. Athle the poet, um, <laughs> and was like, "Oh, would you like to do the voiceover? I'm gonna like film the next protest, and uh, yeah, it'd be really cool if you could do like a poetic voiceover over the top." And I was actually going to Pris's that night anyway. Pris Nash, uh, Pris Nash poetry on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, and we we'd been talking about. Um, writing something together for a while and so this just seemed like the perfect opportunity um Pris is black and I I think it's really important to share um the opportunities that we get in any opportunity I get that's in response to Black Lives Matter or anti-racism I always try to share it around like it's in our roots to work collectively and to share things I think we're always stronger together and Mm -hmm. my experience isn't the only experience neither is Pris's but at least by having two then uh we 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 cover a wider ground um so yeah Sam actually came up with the idea of um like waking up on the day of the protest and then waking up being part of the protest and waking up the day after and what do you do next sort of thing or we kind of worked on it together to break it down into those three sections um but I think uh I think maybe Sam had a different idea or maybe we all had a different idea of what it was going to look like in the beginning but what we came out with was uh it kind of it didn't work over the uh the footage of the last protest and so the way that it was kind of cut together with um some quite distressing scenes mm-hmm. um it's like I I burst in tears watching it every mm-hmm. time and I I I didn't do that when I was writing it or reading it but watching it is just so profound with all of those clips um I think it just really hammers it home and hammers that message home of like we need to wake up like it's it was great in June. It was kind of great and it wasn't watching everyone sort of wake up to anti-racism and, you know, like sharing stuff all the time. And maybe it wasn't quite the right thing, but people were trying and that was good. But at the same time, it was like, oh, you know, I've been shouting about this for years. It's really yeah. cool that you're listening to people that you don't know rather than your friends or your colleagues. Yeah. Um, great that you're waking up now, but like, thanks for sleeping on me and my... <laughs> And my lived experience of misogynoir all this time uh yeah so it's a multitude of feelings and then 
great that everyone woke up in June and then it's like wait where where are you all now yeah because uh, at the last demo there were like maybe 3,000 people maximum and at the first one in Brighton the first big one was up to 15,000 people said and I get that in between that time you know the shops are open the pubs are open some people are back at work and some people you know they've they've got commitments so they can't come but I don't think that was 8,000 people so you know you came to a protest you shared a black square you shared the black lives matter link on your instagram now what yeah like, what are you going to do because the great thing about this year i mean it, it's born out of obviously awful awful circumstances um but it felt like a different kind of energy and I was quite excited about it. I think that's what finally kicked me up the arse. I'm like, you can be the activist you want to see mm -hmm. in the world. Um, but yeah, where, what was I saying? I've the, literally that energy needs to keep keep going. So what yeah, you were saying yeah, about the film, right like, there. <laughs> yeah, so like, what's next? And <laughs> you were saying about that there was that three parts of the film. And it is towards the end of the, the poem, the film, that's kind of what, what you go on to, isn't it? Yes. How can we watch it, Annie? Um, so if you go to my um, Instagram, that's aflo.thepoet, uh, you can find it on my IGTV, but there is also a Vimeo link that's in my bio. Um, but if you type in um, Aflo and the Poet, Aflo and the poet. I'm Aflo <laughs> the poet, and Chris Nash. Wake yeah. up into any search engine; it will pop up on um, Vimeo. Or, or you can go to Bobby from Queer Eyes Instagram page, and he shared it. So yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Um, wow. Also, Jr. Born, Jr. Born, the actor. He shared right. it. That's pretty cool. And. Uh, Read uh, the the executive producer from *A Handmaiden's Tale*. She shared it and called us uh, her friends and heroes. And wow. I melted, not just because it's been like forty degrees, uh, but because that emotionally, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. And I, yeah, any everyone needs to go and watch that. I reckon. Definitely. Let's uh, let's move on to your let's move on to your final choice then. Um, and we always like to oh, come yeah. to this to the song at the end. I don't know why, mm -hmm. but it just always seems fitting to talk about music at the end. Um, so well, it's, what is, our, it's our favourite one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. To be honest, um, what's so? What's your song choice, Annie? Uh, Redemption song by Bob Marley. That's my song of choice. Um, it's a very special song to me for a number of reasons. Um, actually, I've got the, my fave lyrics tattooed on my leg. Um, Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And I got it done on his birthday, actually, several years oh, ago. Amazing. On February the 6th. Um, it's special for many reasons. Uh Bob Marley was played a lot in my uh, childhood, so it's kind of like it's kind of a it's a comfort, um, but also very another big inspiration and role model because he's actually um, my third cousin. He is my grandma's cousin. 
Do you know this song? I did. I I swear I did know. I, I did. I, well, I did because I was like, I'm pretty sure Annie is like related to Bob Marley, but I obviously didn't want to just bring it up in case I was wrong because that would have been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that been no, terrible. Awful assumption. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, people always used to ask at school, "Oh, did you ever meet him?" It's like, no, no, we we weren't on the same earth at the same time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah very um very important man in the world so obviously he'd be important to me but this song um in particular he wrote this um not long before he died and i think it's a real uh acknowledgement of like his um immortality not immortality his mortality mm-hmm. it's, slip, late. Like, it's late it's dream <laughs> you imagine you imagine if he lived forever Oh. Um, that's a whole. That's a whole separate podcast that's in itself podcast. as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like how it's so stripped back, um, and it really it talks about it acknowledges that we carry around more trauma than is our own. Like particularly um, for, from a Jamaican heritage, uh, the traumas of slavery, um, and that's. It's like it's actually changed our DNA. We can't escape the mm-hmm. the the um the trauma. Um and it's intergenerational. But it's saying that like only you can free yourself from the the pressures that have been put on you mm-hmm. and, and your ancestors. It's only you that can do that. And he he did that with his work. And I guess as I like continue throughout my life, like particularly in the last 18 months, I feel like, I don't know, I'm not comparing myself at all, but just that um, he's really inspiring the way that I go about my life and that I'm Mm -hmm. feeling more aligned with my ancestors at the moment. Amazing. It's it's one of those songs that kind of everyone knows, but it's so nice to hear kind of, you know, your white, white means so much to you because it definitely... Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that with us, Annie. That's okay. My pleasure. Yeah. I feel like I have learned. I love doing this. I feel like I've learned so much and like my brain is like buzzing. This has been really there's lots of well, it's just been a real treat having you, I think. It's been Oh, it's been so lovely being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm actually really glad. I'm really glad that you didn't record before, Sam, because then we've actually had more time to talk. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it has been nice. Um, And, yeah, I'll see you soon. Um, Yeah, yeah, I really would love that. I really would. As always, we'll we'll post post your Instagram pages and um, should people follow Black Lives Matter Brighton as well, Annie, and just... See oh what, yeah what's going on if you're not already yeah, definitely definitely they post um low they've been posting loads of information about different cases and different things going on so it's a really informative page to follow um and to keep the momentum going as well as like your local black lives matter uh social yes, media yes yeah yeah yes um oh it's been great talking to it's you again been and so just, uh, nice thank you so much annie Thanks it's been so a much. pleasure. Thank Thanks. you so much. Bye. Thanks Bye. so much, Annie. Bye. Bye.
Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm pressing the button and I keep missing it. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. If you wanted me to be clear, I know. She is so nice. Yeah, she's great. She's really great. And you should be so interesting. And I love that, like, really frustrated like eloquence like I mm. have thought about these words because I'm crossed by all the time so I'm going to yeah. explain it like yes, this, yes, yes, this. Yes, yes. Um, well thank you Annie I learned and loved all the way through that podcast that was um, absolutely brilliant I feel I feel like maybe some of that kind of loss of energy for Black Lives Matter I hope maybe after that people kind of feel a bit reignited as well yeah me too yeah definitely mm-hmm. um stay keep that energy up i think is that is the is the message there absolutely keep it going um and to be shared by bobby from queer eye i think this is the most famous person that we're ever gonna get on our show have, have mentioned the good reason <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i meant annie as oh a, annie yeah yeah yeah, as yeah. A, by association. I, reckon, I reckon you know 10 years time she's going to be a star that's, that's what I say okay. everyone it's going to be a household name and she was and you started here and, and you heard her here first <laughs> um, yeah as always um, follow us on the socials oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say something nice <laughs> um, no, no, no. No, 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 at, no. at one book one film one song on Instagram um, and yeah, we're still like we're still interested in knowing if there's anybody out there who you've, mm-hmm. you've got a mate who you think would be perfect for the show. Yeah, give us a give us a DM or whatever. Um, yeah. Or if you think you'd be perfect, because yeah, we love that confidence, don't we? Yeah, we love a bit of confidence. Perfect. Um, well, I'll speak to you. Actually, we've got a bit more. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon, Charlie.